Praise God. Man, good to be in the presence of God. Amen. Praise God. Well, so good to see all of you <clears throat> this morning. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about the series that we're in. We've been talking about Noah, and we're in the third week now. And last week we talked about the fact that God sees. And that was how the, the story of Noah sort of begins, is with God explaining all that he has seen on the earth happening, all of the wickedness, all of the, all of the evil, all of the rebellion, all of the violence. Um, and, and he sees those things. And then we looked at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah as well because they're paralleled in the New Testament. The Bible says actually uses both of those stories to tell us um, that the end times will be sort of like those days, the days of Noah, the days of Lot. And so we looked at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was the same thing. The angels showed up to Abraham, and they said, we're going down to Sodom to what? To see and to hear about the outcry that has, that has come up to us about the wickedness and the sin that's going on. And so we talked a lot about last week the fact that God sees. Nothing escapes his uh, uh, knowledge. Nothing escapes his view. He sees everything going on in our lives, everything going on in our world. You know, if you're dismayed, about the things that are going on in our world, in our nation, if you don't like the direction things are going, if you feel like there's a lot of injustice, if you feel like there's a lot of immorality, if you feel like there's a lot of forsaking the values that we've held dear for, for a long time, the first thing you need to know is that God sees. God sees all of that. And when God sees, the point is, is that God acts. It may not be in your timeline, but God doesn't just see and then turn a blind eye. When God sees, God will act, and he will perform. And that's what we see from Scripture. Now, our timeline is so small, you know, our time on the planet is so short that we sometimes get impatient. But we can rest and trust that God knows what he's doing, amen? Uh, he sees, and he will act, and he will respond accordingly. The next thing that we're going to talk about this morning is not only does God see, the next thing that God does once he sees that something is happening, the next thing that he does is he preserves. So God sees, then God preserves the righteous. He preserves those who are living according to his name. He, he preserves those who are living according to his law, what the Bible calls righteous. And we're going to see that in the book of Noah. So let's look. There is no book of Noah, by the way. <clears throat> I was just testing you on that. In the book of Genesis is what I meant to say. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. And God said to Noah, I have determined. Everybody say determined. determined. How many know if God determines something is over? If God determines something, it is happening. He looked at Noah and he said, I have determined. And by the way, God doesn't reach his determinations lightly. This is also part of God sees, all right? When God sees, he watches, he takes notes. The Bible says that there are books in heaven that are written with every detail, <clears throat> every kind act, every evil act. So when God makes a determination, it's a full and complete determination, right? It's not like our determination. Well, I've determined to do, and then you change your mind the next week or the next day. God's not like that. When God makes a determination, it's, it's happening. 
So he looked at Noah and he said, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then he gives more instructions about the ark and those types of things. But God made a determination. Now remember, this is of course a historical event that happened. But it also points to another event that's happening before or at the return of Jesus Christ. Um, so these events are connected. And Jesus is the one who connected these events for us. So we're learning about the second coming of Christ and the judgment that's going to be poured out there by studying this event in the book of Genesis about Noah. Verse 17. He said, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. There is the preservation that we're talking about. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So, Yes, God was going to judge the earth, but Noah and his family were going to be preserved through it. Now, in their time, it was just his family. There was no one else that had qualified for this preservation. But we know when Christ returns that, that's a, that this is a type of the church. It's a type of the body of Christ. The ark represents the, the preservation and the safety of, that God is going to provide for his church during the outpouring of the judgment that is to come in the end times. So throughout Scripture, we see this principle that the righteous are not swept away with the wicked. They are actually preserved through it. And this is one of the things that we can be confident in. You know, as, again, as you look around and you see the things happening in your, your world, your nation, it may bring dismay, it may bring discouragement. But this should be a confidence that we have. No, the righteous are going to fare well in the middle of whatever is happening. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's not the return of Christ, right? It, it doesn't matter if we see that or if we don't. We can have confidence that whatever's happening in our nation, nobody knows what's going to happen in this nation in the next 20 years. Nobody knows the direction that the nation is going and the ups and downs. Have you ever kind of entertained those fears of, of where things could go? You know, when, when the economy starts going, inflation through the roof, you see the craziest, you know, immorality and things happening. Uh, you could, if you let your mind wander and kind of just go, you could really entertain some crazy places that this thing could go. I mean, I know y'all did it during Y2K. I, I saw all that happen. You know, canned goods and, you know, shotgun shells and everything you could get your hand on. <laughs> some of you are still eating MREs anyway. Um, yeah, so, so the, your mind can run, right? And you can go, oh man, this thing could get bad real quick. And we all like to pretend, oh, no, we're fine. Yeah, I saw, I saw you during Y2K. I was graduating high school then. But anyway, but here's the point, is that no matter what is coming, this is what the Word of God tells us, the righteous will be preserved. And I have faith in that. I have confidence in that. I believe that. doesn't mean I want to walk through a time like that. doesn't mean I'm excited about walking through a difficult time like that. But what I have confidence in is that the righteous will be preserved. Because it's all throughout the scripture. And I don't care if he's got to bring me bread and food by a raven. Y'all know that story, right? I don't care if he's got to rain manna out of heaven. I don't care if he's got to make oil come out of a jar that never runs out. God's going to preserve and provide for me. 
That's how I believe and that's how I think. And, and no, it doesn't always take on those supernatural miracles like that, but the fact remains that God preserves the righteous. And that's what I'm expecting. Amen? Amen. So we see this point throughout Scripture. It doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. I think it was hard for Noah to build, build an ark for a hundred years. I think it was hard to get on that boat. Well, it was hard to gather all those animals. I think that God helped him with that. I think they just showed up, you know, two by two. That's how I saw it in a cartoon one time. They just showed up. I'm pretty sure that was, had to be something like that. It was hard being on that boat, feeding those animals, cleaning up after those animals and, and such, okay? I'm not saying it wasn't difficult, but the point was he was preserved through it. Preservation doesn't mean no difficulty. Preservation doesn't mean no problems. Preservation doesn't mean that you don't need endurance uh, and to be strong through it. It just means that even though it might be difficult, you will come out on the other side preserved. And that's what I believe. That's what I'm standing for. So look at Psalm 34, 19 with me. Along with that idea that, you know, it might be difficult. 34, Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Okay, so the, we already know the righteous are preserved. We're going to keep seeing that theme. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have any afflictions or difficulty. Actually, he says here, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So, yeah, we face a lot of affliction, a lot of hard things that sometimes we've got to go through, but we can have that confidence that the Lord delivers us out of them all. Keeps reading, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Isn't that powerful? Second Peter 2.4. Peter actually references... Noah and what was going on during that time. Uh, let's, let's follow his line of reasoning here. He says, for, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, talking about in the beginning when Satan and the angels sinned against God. Satan was, you know, an angel. The, the, de- the, what we know as demons now were angels at one point. That's what he's referencing. He says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now that was a really long sentence, really long sentence, to say this last phrase, essentially what he's saying is, God brought judgment on the demons, but yet the other angels that were righteous were preserved. He said, he brought judgment on the ancient world, but Noah was preserved. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, yet Lot was preserved. That's the point of this whole passage. When he 
finally gets to it in verse 9. He says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. That's preservation. He knows how to rescue the godly and at the same time to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Here's what he's saying here. He says, God knows how to get this thing done. He knows how to bring punishment and judgment on a group while at the same time preserving the righteous among that group. So when we look at our nation, the way things are going, are we headed for judgment? Are we headed for a decay of some kind? Are we headed? I do not know, but what I know is the righteous will be preserved among and in and through and among that. And I know that from the Word of God. Just look at what happened to the Egyptians. You had the Egyptians, you had the Israelites all in Egypt at the same time. The plagues, the, the ten plagues were coming, destroying. Over and over again, God made a point to say this was happening in Egypt, but right across the street over there in Goshen where the Israelites were, they, were, they had perfect peace, perfect harmony. Darkness over here, light over here. All their cattle killed by large hailstones, cattle over here were just fine. Locust flies over here, over here near just fine. They were preserved in, in and through and in the middle of judgment. So God, that's, the, that's Peter's point. God knows how to bring judgment and punishment, yet preserving and protecting the righteous. That's where my faith is. And that's where your faith is. Amen? Amen. Genesis 18.22, going to the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah now. Uh, we're going to read here. And, and because Abraham had this same question that we're kind of talking about this morning. Abraham saw what was about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he had this same question for God. Verse 22, Genesis 18, 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. That's talking about the angels. Uh, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You see, this was his question. He's like, hold on a minute. God, you're, you're going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, but I know for a fact there are some righteous people in that city. And you're going to go down to that city and you're about to wipe them out, wipe them clean off the face of the earth. Second Peter said, bring them to extinction. Okay, turn the city into ashes. And so he had this question, will you indeed, and his, kind of, his question is, is this the kind of God that I serve? Is there no, is there no justice that for those that serve God righteously and have endured all of the, in the middle of all the sin and perversion and wickedness and they've stayed faithful to your name and they've served you they stay committed to your word are you going to sweep away them along with the righteous and kind of what's implied there is well that's not fair that's that's not just so he said will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked suppose there are 50 righteous within the city will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So that the righteous fare as the wicked. You see, that would not be fair, would it? That the judgment is coming, but the, those who stayed faithful to God, they're, they're treated just like the, the wicked. Well, that's not right. 
Far be it from you, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This is the conversation Abraham was having with God. I'm glad he had it and I didn't have to have it because to me he's kind of towing a line there. I mean, he is about to rain <laughs> hellfire and brimstone down. You know, I mean, you might want to walk carefully. But anyway, verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Look at that. Listen, if there had been 50 righteous people in that entire city, we wouldn't even be reading this story in the Bible. What, what he is saying is if there had been 50 righteous people, God would have overlooked everything going on in the city just for the sake of the 50 righteous that lived there. That ought to tell you something about how God feels about you. That ought to tell you how God feels about those who stay faithful to His name and that follow His word in the middle of a perverse and perverted generation. So he said, if there's 50, if I find 50 in the city, he said, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five righteous people there. I'm not going to go through the whole conversation that he and God end up having. But the point is, Abraham talks God down to ten. <laughs> okay, And he says... He gets to the ten and he says, if there's ten righteous in the city, would you still destroy it? And God said, verse 32, I'll read what Abraham said too. He said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. For the sake of ten. So he goes all the way down to ten. Well, my goodness, we already know you got Sodom. Excuse me, you got Lot, his wife, his two daughters, and his two son-in-laws. So we're at least at six right there. I think maybe Abraham could have kept going. That was pretty close. Ten, six, it wasn't that far apart, you know, ten, six. He stopped at ten, so God stopped. But apparently there was not ten righteous in the whole city. There was at least six, and I'm not sure the son-in-laws count. We'll find that out later, but... But Lot, and, and you really see this with Moses too. You know, I, I tend to read these stories and, and analyze it and look at it. And when I, when I really look at it, I think, that Noah, I think that Noah's whole family was preserved mostly because of who Noah was. Because I find out later that his children were, they had some wicked stuff going on in their life. But because of who Noah was and Noah's position with God, God granted their whole family preservation because of what Noah was doing. And I, and I really see the same thing with Lot. Because I, I find out actually what ends up happening in this story, we're going to see that in just a second. Lot's wife didn't make it. And the son-in-laws didn't make it. Now, they, God had granted them preservation to make it, but through their disobedience and sin, they actually ended up not making it out. But they were granted preservation simply because of who Lot was. The rest of his family is not mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith in the book of Hebrews. Lot, Lot is mentioned, but, you know, no one else. So I don't know if there were ten righteous or not. I, well, obviously there weren't ten, but I don't know how many there were because it could have just been Lot, really. But sometimes God, just because of his commitment to 
the righteous, their whole family was granted preservation. Now, I want to point out one very big distinction between the stories of Noah and the story of Lot. And that big distinction is the obedience that you see in the life of Noah versus what you see in Lot and his family. And I want to bring this to you because I think a lot of times when people think about preservation, uh, God's preservation in our lives, God's protection in our lives, I think a lot of times we think of it like just only from a miraculous standpoint, meaning, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to drive a car and I'm going to get in a wreck and there's going to be like an, a, a bubble of protection around me and so nothing happened to me because I was just miraculously protected. But if you pay close attention through the Bible, that's normally not what you see. There are instances where, yes, people are just miraculously protected by an angel or, or something like that. But believe it or not, those are the exceptions. Most of the time, please pay attention to this. Most of the time, what I see from the Bible is that preservation and protection comes in the form of instruction. And this is a huge distinction, and I think it's a point that I hear a lot of Christians get wrong, and I hear, I hear mislead. I've actually had conversations with Christians that were uh, doing something that I considered foolish, and then throw out, well, I just believe God's going to protect me. Uh-huh. Well, God's protection might have been something we call common sense. God's protection might have been something we call the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when you got that check in your heart that said, you might not want to do that, dum-dum. And you did it anyway because you said, well, I just believe God's going to protect me. Listen, that's foolish. That's That's not how God protected these people. God protected Noah through instruction. And Noah was clearly listening every step of the way. Go read the whole story. We don't have time to read it now. But he gave him, he told him how to build the ark. He told him what materials to use. He told him about getting the... He gave every... It was all through instruction. And you know why Noah was considered righteous? Because he listened. And because he obeyed everything that God said. Go read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't wasn't like Lot's family stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah and this just magic, you know, bubble of protection around them like this force field just protect them while fire and brimstone is falling and they're just standing there, you know, and nothing's harming them, nothing's touching them. That's not what happened. How did the protection come? The protection came through instruction. God showed up. He said, hey, this is about to happen and here's what you need to do to avoid it. And in the story of Lot, Lot, there were certain ones of the family members that did not heed the instruction and guess what? They did not experience that divine preservation. They died along with the wicked. Even though they'd been granted preservation, they died because they didn't listen to the instruction, which we're going to see in just a minute. So I want to tell you this. If you're one of those super spiritual Christians that think like that, well, God, I can just do whatever I want, and God, basically you're bulletproof, you know. Listen, I'm going to just tell you, even the Son of God, Jesus, even the Son of God, go read... Mary and Joseph, when he was being born, and they were seeking to kill him, 
the word of God came to Mary and Joseph, flee to Egypt. Y'all remember that? They picked up little baby Jesus and they went and lived in Egypt for several years as what? A form of protection. It wasn't some supernatural protection like, oh, Herod just couldn't find him. He just miraculous. He's like invisible to him. No, it came in the form of instruction. He said, pack up the baby and go to Egypt. They obeyed. They followed it, which, by the way, that is a hallmark sign of the righteous that they hear and obey. They, they heard the word of God. They received the instruction about preservation. They followed it. They went to Egypt and they were preserved because of it. Over and over and over and over and over again, what I see is supernatural protection and preservation in the Bible is tied to instruction and obedience. It's not, it's, it's foolish to just go, well, of, co of course there are things that, you know, we don't get instruction about, and so we just trust God's going to protect. Yes, that's, that's part of it. But how many of you know, too, we need to have our ears tuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to, if we see clear things in His Word, we need to be following that because our, our preservation could be tied to that. So, preservation from God often comes in the form of instruction. I think one of the primary ways that every believer is going to be preserved is through the leading of their own spirit. Any of you ever what we might call just a check or a bad feeling in your heart, like, I don't need to do that, I don't need to be part of that, and you went ahead and did it anyway, and you found out later why it was a bad idea? Yeah, we all have. And it's important that we listen to that. It's important that we learn and tune our ears to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another way instruction comes is through pastors, leaders, parents, if you're a child. Loved ones, people that care about you in your life, those that you're accountable to. You know, God doesn't just always show up and speak uh, in an audible voice to you. God puts people in our lives, too, that we're accountable to that can come and say, Hey, I think you need to pay attention to this. Hey, I think you might not be seeing something on this, and you might need to pay attention to this. And it's important that we listen, because guess what? That's instruction, too. That's instruction too. And I've heard people, not, nobody in here, of course, but I've heard people say things like, well, I don't have to listen to any man. I'm accountable to God. The problem is that sometimes God speaks through another person in your life. And if you just discount that through pride or rebellion or whatever else, you might be discounting the voice of God in your life. A lot of times that people are on the wrong path, by the way, their, their, their ability to hear is dull in the first place. And so sometimes God was speaking, but you were too full of sin and dull to hear it. So God will send you somebody in your life that, because he loves you, he'll send you say, hey, I tried to talk to you about this, but you didn't yield. Now I'm sending somebody to tell you because you're still not hearing me on it. And that's all out of love. It's because God loves us. He cares for us. What's he trying to do? He's trying to preserve. He's trying to protect. He's trying to guard in our lives. And so many times, we couldn't hear what God was saying. He sent somebody. We didn't listen to what they were saying. And then what ends up happening? The, the consequences of it end up slapping us right in the face. But that's not God's will. So we can't be so foolish to just go, Oh, well, I'm a Christian. Everything's going to be, I'll just be protected and preserved. Well, it don't work quite like that. All right, there's a little more to it than that. 
So it's not just thinking that you've got to get out of jail free card no matter what. There's a process to it. And like so many things with God, the key to the whole thing is walking in close fellowship with Him. When you walk in close fellowship with God, these things will be clearer and they will be easier to follow. Let's look at Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So God noticed the quality about Noah that he was righteous, which means he heard the law of God and he obeyed the law of God. And he followed it. So he was righteous and God took notice. Genesis 19.12, going to, back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, let's pay close attention to what happens in this story, because I think it really illustrates all that we've been talking about this morning. Genesis 19, 12. Then the men, that was the angels, the, the men that showed up were actually angels. The men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the, of the place. I, I want you to understand, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. I've already made this point. Notice who the angels are talking to. They're talking to Lot. They're not, they didn't go find the sons-in-law. You know why? I don't believe they qualified for this. But the reason they're being included is because of Lot. Because let me just tell you, if they qualified for this, the angels would have went and found them. They're, God's not going to leave them behind and like just rely on, hey, hey, Lot, can you pass this message along? If they qualified. They're, but they're included because of who Lot is. And what Lot is doing, which tells us a lot about the way God thinks, but we're not going to spend a lot of time there right now. He said, have you anyone else here? In other words, Lot, is there anyone else that you want to bring along on this preservation escapade here? He said, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. I just can't get off of this. I'm trying to get off of it. But you got you to understand, he gave Lot a blank check because of who Lot was. How many of you know sometimes it's important who you're tied to, who, who you're who you connected to, who you've linked arms up with? I don't think people understand that enough. It matters who God connects you with and, and, and who, who you're supposed to be connected to. These people right here that are mentioned, they literally were being granted preservation simply because of who Lot was. The angels gave him a blank check. He said, do you have anyone else in the city? Bring them out of the place. They didn't put any limits on it. Lot, anybody you care about, anybody you want, go grab them. They're coming with you. Wow. Talk about favor and being qualified before God for something. It says, we're about to destroy this place. So Lot went out. Notice, oh man, I hope you're paying attention to this this morning. Because I, I think I'm preaching better than y'all are, y'all are responding this morning. But that's okay. I, I mean, I'm just... And, and, I, and it's not even the preaching. It's just the word. I mean, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. What's being said here. Because look, look what he says. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were supposed to marry his daughters... Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting or to be joking. So what did they do? 
they ignored the instruction. It's amazing to me. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. Why is he lingering? I don't know why he's lingering. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it's, it can be contrasted with what Noah did. As Noah did everything the Lord told him to do. Lot is lingering here. He says, so he told him, but as morning dawns, they're still there. As you read this story, you've got to go, what are they doing? If you read what happened before, when, they, when the men of the city tried to surround their house, you'd go, man, why are these people still here? Let's get out of here as soon as possible. But they waited around. Maybe they're trying to gather belongings. Maybe Lot's wife and daughters are, you know, they're like a lot of ours, and they're, they're still getting dressed in the bathroom. I don't know. They got more, you know, they're still packing or something. Uh, maybe he's waiting on his son-in-law. I don't know. But it says that they lingered to the point, look at verse 16, but he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Do you see what is going on here? In other words, what the word of God is saying is because he didn't follow the instruction and he lingered, he was about to get it. But, he said, even though it would have been justified, this is essentially what's being said. Even though it would have been justified for him to be swept away because he didn't follow instruction, it says the Lord was merciful. Merciful to what? Merciful to his disobedience. Merciful to him for not heeding instruction. Merciful to him for not obeying immediately. The Lord was merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Listen, Lot, even, even righteous Lot, for whatever reason, probably had a good excuse, he did not follow instruction immediately and it almost cost him and his whole family. But praise God, in that instance, the Lord took into account his righteousness and it says the Lord was merciful and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. What are we getting here? More instruction. As they brought him out, they said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. How many of you think it's important if God gives instruction to listen to every word of it? To follow every word of it? God doesn't speak to waste breath and words. If he says, don't do this, see, it's not, we don't, this isn't how we're used to living. You know, we get, a, we get an instruction manual and we just thumb through it. Yeah, we read three or four sentences. Okay, pff, toss it, you know. Half of it in there is dumb anyway, you know. It's just, they, they think we don't know how to buckle a seatbelt or something, you know, just, so you just toss it out. But listen, God's not like that. There's not a single phrase written in the Bible that ought not be paid attention to. We're used to overlooking instruction and information. We're used to weighing things with, and then giving our opinion and deciding whether we're going to follow it or whether we're not. Hey, when it comes to the words of God, our opinion doesn't matter. When it comes to the instruction of God, it's not, it's not time to, to look at it and go, well, you know, maybe we'll do that, maybe we won't. Oh, that could be a suggestion. Not a lot of suggestions in the Bible. 
mostly just commands. As they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest what? Lest you be swept away. Their life is still at risk at this point. So he's urging them, get moving, follow my instruction because I don't want you to be swept up in this. And what is implied is if you do not follow the instruction, you will be swept away. Verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur, fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife... Behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So Lot's wife didn't make it. She made it past a certain point, but then when they received more instruction about not looking back, she looked back anyway, and it cost her. I don't know why that piece of instruction was so important. I mean, it's not clear why that was so important. I've heard a lot of theories and sermons on that, but bottom line, it doesn't really tell us why that mattered so much. But she looked back. And instantly, she turned to a pillar of salt. Out of all those that were supposed to be preserved, out of six, three made it out. Lot and his two daughters, the wife and the two sons-in-law did not make it out. Even though they had been granted access to the preservation, they didn't make it out because they didn't follow instruction. So... What I want you guys to understand and what I want our church to understand is how important it is to be yielded to God, truly submitted to God, submitted to His Lordship, and to have a, a habit built in our life of following instruction and following God. But I meet a lot of Christians that don't think like that. I meet a lot of Christians that feel like the things that God says are optional. It's like, almost like, well, yeah, those are those Christians that, yeah, they, they go to church and they pray and they read their Bible, you know, and, and I'm over here. I don't do it quite like they do it, you know. And then we look at the ones that actually follow the Lord and we go, yeah, they're fanatical. You know, they're kind of like those Jesus freaks. They're a little bit intense, you know. But I'm just telling you, when I read the Bible, I think that's the only kind. It's those that follow the Lord like that. And those that, that don't do that, this is the kind of thing Jesus says to him. He says, almost with a quizzical look on his face, he says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? He said, that's not, that's not Lordship, right? If you, if you are calling me Lord, what is implied, if he's Lord, is I do what you say and I follow orders as a servant of God. I follow what you say do. But there's a lot of Christians that that's not really how they see it. That's not how they, they look at it. And I'm not saying what I'm saying this morning to condemn anybody or, or make you feel bad about it. What I'm trying to do this morning is, is sort of move the goalpost, just, just move the standard just a little bit so that those of us that aren't doing that, maybe we can be challenged and go, hey, I, I think I need to move the bar just a little bit myself in my own life. Because I don't think that if you call yourself a Christian, I don't think that following the commands of God's optional. And I don't know that from what, from what I see in Scripture, I don't know that the Lord's preservation is available for every single person that just has the self-imposed title of Christian. 
I think it matters whether you actually are a Christian or not. And one of the things that helps us know that is by the fruit of your life. Okay? I mean, the Word of God is just clear on that. I could preach a whole nother, nother sermon on that. We know how we receive salvation. It's, through, it's by grace. It's a gift from God. But then once we've received it, there is a lordship element of when you've been saved and born again, you follow Him, whatever He says. And those types of Christians, to me, when you see something in the Word of God that uh, contradicts your lifestyle or your way of thinking, what do you do? You don't reject it. You don't, you don't think about it. You change it. You change it. I read things all the time in the Word of God that convict me. Nobody's past this. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I read things in the Scripture all the time that convict me, and I go, oh, my Lord, I have, I have, I have not been careful to watch this. I need to make this adjustment. And to me, that's a, a heart of a servant, a heart of somebody that loves God to say, I'm always wanting to make sure that I'm in line with what his word says. And, and I think that's the type of person that Noah was. We know from Scripture Noah was not perfect. We know script, from Scripture that Noah had problems in his life, issues at, after the flood. So he wasn't perfect, but the Bible still called him righteous. So perfection is not a... Uh, prerequisite for being considered righteous but it's about a heart that seeks to do what God's asking you to do it's a heart that seeks to please God through your obedience and yeah we may make mistakes out of ignorance but once it comes to light we change it you know we may make mistakes we didn't know or we forgot about that or we fell off the wagon on that but once it's brought to our attention we go man I'm changing that I'm, I'm getting that right I'm getting that in line and you got to remember Every one of God's commands is for your benefit. There's not one that's there just arbitrary because he just thought it'd be fun to watch you try to follow that. Every one is because you, your life is going to function best, properly. you're going to be happiest, you're going to be blessed by following these commands and following his law. So, I want to as we continue looking through this series and then we compare it to you know we compare it to where we're at as as a Christian nation and, and as a, a group of Christians living in this nation is really what I meant to say as we look at our life now we've got to know that God has a plan for our way of living in this society and we don't need to be looking around in despair and gloomy and oh God what's happening to our world we need to know God sees Okay, he sees everything that's going on, and he has a plan of preservation for us, for believers. Not just one life, every, every Christian that lives in this nation. God has a plan of preservation for you and for your family. But we better listen. We don't need to go, this is the way I've always done it. Okay, oh, well, when I was young, we did it this way. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, we did it the way, oh, I, I went to school and so they'll be fine, or we watched this and so they'll be fine. That's not what we're supposed to be following. We're supposed to be following instruction as the Lord leads, because I can tell you, if you follow the instruction that God gives you in your heart, if you start to see something about your life, your family, your kids, you start to begin to feel something in your heart, you need to follow that. You need to listen to that and see it as instruction as God preserving your family. As parents, I think we have a big challenge with this, right? It's, it's hard 
to raise kids over an 18-year span and, and do everything right and not mess them up, right? That's a <laughs> we got a lot at stake. But praise God for the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the Holy Spirit in my parenting because there are times where I'll see things we're doing, we're going a certain way, we're handling something a certain way, and the Holy Spirit can check me in my heart and go, that's not the way to do that, or that's not the way to handle that, or you shouldn't be allowing them to do that right now. And by building a habit of following that, we have saved ourselves from a lot of things. Even if we don't understand all the way while we're getting the instruction, we just have a ha- we want to build a habit of following that instruction when we feel that in our in our heart. And as a as a parent, you have an you have a grace and an anointing on your life to do that. You are the authority in their life, and so God's favor and ability is on you to do that well. And he's gonna he's gonna give you the guidance and the help that you need to do it. But we've got to build a habit of listening and obeying. Amen. Last thing I want to tell you this morning, the ones that I think, because, you know, the Bible tells us that when this starts happening on the earth before the return of, the second return of Christ, and I I don't know if that's our generation beyond, nope, we don't know, but when it starts happening, the Bible teaches us that there is going to be those Christians that fall away, those that the, the Bible says that came to him and said, Lord, Lord. You know, and he says, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. And it's based on what we're talking about this morning. But what I want you to know is the ones that I think are going to fare well during that time are, are ones who have built a lifestyle and a habit of following God's instruction. Not... Not a Christian that lived for 30 years doing what they wanted to do and just trusting that, oh, it'll all be all right, it'll all work out, you know, God's grace is big enough. And then in the last minute, they try to, they try to really make that tweak and get it right. I don't think those are the ones that are going to fare very well. I think the ones that are going to do well are ones that they built a lifestyle of following God and yielding to God their whole life. So that when it comes into these times, it's just second. It's already habit. It's already the default way of living and responding. And you see this in the parable of the of the ten virgins, where they all knew about the return. They all had a little bit of oil, all of that. But there were five that realized in the moment, oh wait a minute, we actually don't have enough oil to carry us through this. And guess what? They didn't have enough time to get it. And I've seen this, I've seen this even in, in difficult times in people's lives where they need a power that they don't have. They need a discipline that they, they need a prayer life. They need a faith that they don't have because they haven't spent the time building it. Now they find themselves in a situation where they need it, but they haven't been doing all the things that they needed to be doing to actually have it for that moment in their life. And listen, the return of Christ is going to find a lot of people like that. People that knew what they should have been doing, but they weren't doing it. And when they see it changing, they're starting to try to get it now. Well, you're going to be just like those five virgins that say, oh, oh, now I realize I need that. It might be too late to get it then. Why? Because habits aren't built like that. Character's not built like that. Character's not built in a day because you just had a revelation, oh, I need to change. It, it, you can have a revelation you need to change, but then you're going to spend the next five years changing it. Because that, that's what character is. It takes time 
to build it. So what I would suggest for our church, what I, what I want to see for One Life is we're not a group of people that's going to be scrambling in the end times trying to get everything right and make all these changes. My prayer is that, no, we're living it now. We're following it now so that, that when, the, when the moment comes, we're, we're ready. We've already been doing this. It's not something new to us. This is who we are. That's what I'm praying and, and believing for our church. Amen.